Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20. Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. I know not. For I am in a strait betwixt two things, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Thy will be done, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, as we consider a subject not often considered, we pray that you'd remind us of what we possess in Christ our Savior. May he be glorified this evening in us. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have not already figured it out, I think Darren did this afternoon. Uh, preachers are human beings. They're like everybody else. They have their ups and their downs. They have the same maladies that you do. Sometimes we catch colds. Sometimes we get ingrown toenails. Even preachers get ingrown toenails, even on those beautiful feet that the Word of God speaks about. We get uh, tired, we get fatigued. Preachers have their own particular problems, but sometimes the problems that you have, we have as well, but perhaps on a different plane, not necessarily worse or better, just uh, somewhat different. For example, three pastoral pestilences, which can infect any of us, include taking the easiest road. Another is ignoring the unpleasant things. Doctrines, for example. And putting off whatever we can. As you know, there aren't any vitamin pills to correct any of these. There aren't any exercises that you could do while sitting at the kitchen table to deal with these things. Uh, there aren't any recreational books that you can read that eliminate these problems. But of course, there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it should be our task to seek His will and His blessing whenever such things come along. And today, with the Lord's blessing, I feel strong enough to jump over those three maladies that I have just suggested to come to something that uh, I preached once in my lifetime, I think. And uh, it wasn't here. It's not the easiest road. It's not the most pleasant of subjects, and it shouldn't be put off. I'd like to talk to you about death. Death. I hope to point out that it is not as much an adversary as a lot of people think, especially Christians. You may think that death is a subject which should be confined to the funeral, but you know, it may be too late to deal with the subject at the funeral. And even those who are still alive and are at the funeral uh, generally are not, uh, well, very often 
are not thinking logically, they're thinking emotionally. Now is a perfect time to talk about death. And not, not in the sense of the lost person is going to die, we'll, I'll touch on that, but as it affects you and me, as the children of God. The best time to consider the subject is before we are forced to consider the subject. Have you ever had a friend whom others thought was just a little strange? Maybe as a child you had an imaginary friend or a stuffed animal and your brother and your sister just uh, didn't appreciate that friend that you had. Or maybe it's an animal. Maybe your cat is your very best friend in all the world. Or maybe it was an animal that wasn't a cat. Maybe it was a skunk. A frog. My very best friend is this gecko that lives in my aquarium. Uh, people can have some pretty strange friends. Perhaps your friend was a person whom no one else thought worthy enough for any interest from them. I had such a friend about 55 years ago. I was just around 20 at the time, a little younger than that, I guess. I would guess that the man weighed about 300 pounds. He had a facial deformity and a speech impediment. He was a bit mentally retarded, but that didn't keep him from having exactly the same job that I had at the time. So what does that say about me? He lived at home with his mother, even though he was at least 30 years old. This man's head was larger than most people's, and he had a protruding forehead. To top it all off, the man had a badly deformed back in the same vein as Quasimoto from Victor Hugo's novel The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Most people feared him or held him with some sort of disgust. But to me, he was a friend and I witnessed to him fervently. I do not know that he ever accepted Christ, but uh, he had the opportunity. You may think of this as strange, but I'd like to have us consider death as a potential friend, a little unusual friend, nevertheless, not, a, not an enemy. That's one of my points this evening. You may feel a little uncomfortable about it, but you shouldn't if you're a child of God. That's right. There is a legend about an old saint of God who dreamed that death came to his bedside one night. The visitor terrified the man who was lying there in the bed with his head on the pillow. He wore a black garb of a, a monk. He carried a scythe or a sickle, scythe, uh, in the typical picture of the symbol of death. Beneath the cowl was the grinning face of a skeleton. It terrified the man who was lying there, thinking that he was asleep. But as the child of God watched, the black robe began to change into uh, something white and glorious. The scythe was transformed into a palm, a victory. 
the skeleton disappeared, replaced by the beautiful face of an angel. The smile of peace and the joy that spread across the angel's face was broken when he said, O child of God, I am death. You may see me in your human fears as a terrible foe, but in reality I am thy friend, and I come as God's messenger and guide to lead you home. Death to the enemy of Christ is an enemy. To the friend of Christ, he is a friend. I have five negatives to share with you this evening, and you can tell me later on if you think they're accurate, as you all are so experienced when it comes to death. Death is not judgment for the child of God or for anyone else. Hebrews 7, 29, or 9, 27 draws a distinction between death and judgment. When it says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this comes the judgment. This verse teaches or reminds us several things. First of all, life is brief. Life can end abruptly for anyone at any time. And even though it's not written on our calendar, it's written on God's calendar when that appointment will be met. It's guaranteed. This verse reminds us of the sovereignty of God and it points out our need of preparation for that appointment. It's a great tool for the evangelist, but it also should carry a comforting whisper to the child of God. What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and vanisheth away. We also see here that there's a clear distinction between death and the judgment which follows the death. And finally, there comes the added glorious statement. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I have heard Revelation 20 described by one or two preachers in the course of my life, describing Revelation 20 as the world's most unusual funeral. I think somewhere in my little notebooks there is that note to preach someday. I'm not preaching it today. I don't know that I ever will. Verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's not always a funeral to follow death, so that's why I'm not pursuing that one. What were the names written on the preacher's uh, funeral card? Who died? Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. Prior to this, in verse 12, we read, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. They were already dead. Then came the judgment. Death is not necessarily judgment. But doesn't God bring death to Christians who sin against him? For example, what about the sinful members of the church in Corinth? 
Some of them were on the verge of death and some had already died, according to what Paul said. But he said, for this cause, for sin, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep, that is, are dead. But still, the death of these worldly and sinful saints was not really the judgment that uh, they were going to have to face. The judgment was still coming up at the, the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. There they, and we ourselves, will have our sinful lives exposed. And besides, if they truly were Christians, then there is uh, an inheritance waiting them as the children of God. Death is not a judgment. In fact, the judgment is sucked right out of it, like a, a really bitter lemon, and the juice is sucked out in some fashion. A lime, maybe. The Bible declares, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is not judgment, nor is it the end of the enjoyable things of the Christian life. We can all probably point to a few things that we really enjoy doing. Are they among your favorite things? I hope you can honestly say that uh, your favorite things are good and wholesome, they're moral, they're uh, in accord with what the Word of God says. I hope that no one would say their passion was uh, drunken dancing or uh, uh, what else can we throw in there? Rock music, flirting with death, flirting generally. Hope these aren't your favorite things. The Christian will lose nothing at death except what hurts and harms us or which is not pertinent to eternity. When we enter the realms of glory, whatever we have now that befits glory, we will somehow take with us. I don't know that I have a scripture for that, but uh, that's what I feel down in my heart. Well, uh, along with our arthritis and our diabetes, we lose our taste for all of the sins of this life. Never again will we be angry. Never again will we be jealous. Never again will we worry about something. We'll no longer have any desire uh, to blaspheme or to be around those that do. Sin of every variety will be washed from our souls as if we were run through some sort of spiritual sieve. We shall be changed in a moment. In the crinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, uh, incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The wholesome, godly, spiritual things of our current lives may stay through, with us throughout eternity. Prayer, Meditation on the good things of God, our love for the Lord, 
you remember the parable of the talents? You can always push a parable too far. Parable of the talents. The Lord handed out some gifts and abilities to several of his servants that he wanted to be used for his glory. One man wasted his, so at the judgment, what was given to him was taken away and given to the one who had been faithful to the Lord in his service. And the common phrase was, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It seems to hint that heaven will contain a continuation of some of those talents. They will follow after the judgment. Again, let's not push the parable too far. I cannot say that your love for quilting or cooking uh, will end when you die. Will there be reading in heaven? Maybe you enjoy reading. Writing? Gardening. Maybe gardening is your joy. There's certainly nothing evil in it. Will there be that sort of thing? No one can dogmatically say that your love of good music will come to an end. Or uh, some of your other favorite things. Death will not mean an end of the enjoyable things of our lives. They may be changed. They will be changed. Let's just put it that way. But ongoing, like the scanners in the airport, before we get on the Lord's charter flight to glory, we'll leave all our weapons behind. But that gift that you have in your carry-on that you want to give to your Savior, your loved one when you arrive, that, that'll go through. We'll carry that. In a similar vein, Deaths for, death for the Christian is not an absolute separation. Sure, when we die, there's a parting from our loved ones, but it'll only be temporary. I'm not saying that all or even any of our relationships will be the same in heaven as they are now. I just don't know. But there will be a union and there will apparently be reunions as well. Let's take with a grain of salt the hymn, My Savior First of All. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come. And our parting at the river I recall. To the sweet vales of Eden they will sing my welcome home. But I long to meet my Savior first of all. I don't know. Poetic license once again. The chorus certainly will be true. I shall know him. I shall know him. Redeemed by his side, I shall stand. I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. It will all be about Christ. Mm -hmm. There will be a new union. There may be some sort of reunion with other believers. But I don't know exactly what that will be. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. 2 Corinthians 5.8, he said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body so that we can be present with the Lord. 
There's a picture of death that we might draw out of the relationship between Jacob and Joseph. Joseph has gone to Egypt. Now he has become the prime minister. He has the wealth of the world at his hand at that particular time. Jacob, by this time, is an old man. He's crippled. He's half blind. He's worn out. He's fathered a great many children, and those children have not made life easy for him. He's ready to go. Eventually, he's invited to go to the promised land. He's invited to leave the place where he lives to go see Joseph. So he gets in a wagon, perhaps the first time he's ever ridden in a hearse. And away the thing goes toward Egypt. And Joseph, when he knows that his father is coming, gets out into his chariot and rides down to meet his dad out there in the, the Gaza Strip, the Gaza Desert. It's somewhat like the Lord rising to his feet in order to greet Stephen upon his departure. You may call death a separation if you prefer, but much more importantly, it is a union. It is a gathering. And death is not a step into the absolute unknown. It isn't the source of our greatest fear. How do I word this? Generally, we fear things that we don't understand. That's why my friend was not well-liked. They didn't understand him. We don't know much about death. Passing from this life into the next is a mystery. But death itself, or what lies beyond that death, is not darkness, or at least it shouldn't be. Isaiah 9 tells us, the people that walked in darkness, that's us right now, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. We are currently living in the darkness. Over there is the light. We're going to be leaving the shadow of death to get into the other side where Christ is the light. Death is to the child of God because there's a friend in heaven, a good thing, a glorious thing. At the turn of the 15th century, there were a great many people who were saying the world is flat. There are some people who are thinking, you know, there may be islands just beyond our ability to see. So a few people, brave people, like Columbus and others, got in their ships and they sailed over the edge. And they came back to tell about it. We haven't had anyone personally come back from death and say, it's all right, everybody. But we do have some accounts yes. in the scripture that we can take and use as lessons. There's a land beyond the horizon that has been fully prepared for us by the Savior who loved us and gave his life for us. Imagine that little baby living and growing inside her mother's womb. She's warm, fed, comforted, 
protected. She's learning the voice of her mother. Maybe the voice of her father as well. Does she fear to come out into the real world? Perhaps so. I don't know if she's actually thinking about what it's going to be like. But it's only after her birth that she finds out what life is really like. Don't be fearful of cracking open the little egg in which you are currently uh, encased. Sure, we don't know a lot about eternity, but we know enough to look forward to it. And we know who's there waiting for us. I'm not talking about Grandma. Talking about the Lord. Let's say with Balaam, let me die the death of the righteous. Let's sing with David. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And you'll be there on the other side as well. We've heard our Savior say that he's gone to prepare a place for us. C.H. Spurgeon described his visit to the Alps after they had opened a, a very long tunnel through one of the mountains. He wondered if it would be cold inside. He'd never been in one of those before. He wondered if there would be some sort of underworld stench. He wondered if it would be filled with poison and they had to get their train through there really quickly before people started dying. None of those things. Today, we think nothing about going through tunnels, even on our bicycles. No big deal. Death is not so unknown, nor is our enemy out to get us. What the Lord Jesus Christ is to a person settles what everything else is to that person. Stop and think about that. As our omnipotent God, if Christ tells us to be at peace, why not be at peace? Even about things we don't understand or Desire. Your neighbor has a car. My neighbor has a great big truck. Uh, Cars and trucks can be dangerous. Is my neighbor's truck an enemy of mine? No. A car, a truck, can be a useful tool. Can they kill people? Yes, they can. But it is a tool. And so it is with death. Would you call light your enemy? There will be light. Rest, is that your enemy? Not my enemy. We will have that perfect rest. Fellowship? We will have fellowship like we've never had before. Death is not our enemy. The real question is, Would you call Christ Jesus your enemy? That's exactly what he is if you are living in unbelief and unrepented sin. He is your enemy. If you snicker each time you hear of Calvary and the cross, then you have reason to tremble at the thought of death. If you're trusting earthly activities and religious things to carry you into heavenly places, you ought to fear death. Because these things are not going to get you there. Judas called Jesus' friend. It wasn't real. It wasn't true. 
and he is in hell today. But you have nothing to fear in death if Christ is your Savior in life. And you can, with Paul, say, you know, I like being here, and I like preaching the Word of God, and I enjoy your fellowship. I'm looking forward to that better day when I'm with my Savior. Is the Lord Jesus your Savior? Is He your life? I pray that He is. He's brought you here this evening to hear this message. Amen. So what has He said to you? How will you respond to Him? Yeah. Please stand.